Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. The special today is our kids, and they're going to sing at the end of the service this morning. Whenever they do it, so the parents don't have to rush to get here, we let them do it at the end. And so that's a good thing. Now today, if you look up there, yeah, that's right, we have 30 verses to go through today. Say, how in the world are we going to go through 30 verses in... Oh, it's, we're early. We're doing great on time today. I'm excited. All right. What we're going to do is we're not going to read all of them right now because that's going to take a little bit of time. We're going to read them as we go through the message today. So a little different than how I normally do it. But today we see, last week we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We saw him praying. We saw him get ready for the task that was at hand. And as we dive into the message today and as we go forward today, I want you to know this morning, as we look at our Savior and all that He did, you're going to see some things today that are going to shock you. You're going to hear some of some illegal activity that the high priests and those, there were illegal trials that took place on Jesus. You're also going to see today that there was a guy that was naked that ran away. That's in this passage. You know, what, what does that have to do with anything? Remember, Russ called me a while back when he was reading through the book of Mark, and he's like, am I reading this right? There's really this guy that ran off naked when they took Jesus. That's what it says, yes? Say, how did that happen and all that? You'll, we'll read those verses in just a few minutes. And uh, I told Russ, just don't act like that man. Don't follow his example, and we'll all be in great shape. Um, and then we're going to look at some things that happen a lot. It's going to take place in a very short amount of time this morning in the scriptures. And as we and we're going to look at Peter and his denial of the Lord as well. All of Jesus's life was leading up to this moment. This is why he came. He came to minister, not to be ministered unto. He came to give his life a ransom for many. His hour was come. And not his hour that's coming someday in the day of the Lord. When every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the day of his death, the atonement for our sins. We look here this morning, we're going to dive in. And we see number one, we're going to look at the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. Today there's going to be just a lot of going through these verses. And then I'll make a few application points at the very end. But we see number one today, the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. Let's look at Mark 14 and look at verse 43. Remember last week we finished verse 42. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. We look at verse 43. And immediately, as Jesus was speaking this, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a multitude with swords and staves, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not, but the scripture must be fulfilled, 
And they all forsook him and fled. All the disciples left. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young man laid hold on him, and he, laid the li- and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Yeah, that's what it says. Say, that literally happened? That's what it says, right? I'll give you some thoughts on that in a few minutes. It's interesting what some comment, most commentators think they know who this was. It doesn't say, but I'll give you what they say, and we'll talk about it a little bit. But as we dive in here this morning, we see that Jesus, right as soon as he's done praying, we see that a crowd is gathered there, a great multitude with swords and staves. That there, the word multitude comes from the word cohort, which was a band of soldiers, is what John 18, 12 tells us. And you think about this, a full strength, a full band of soldiers would have been 600 soldiers. There were a lot of soldiers that came this night to take Jesus. And like most undercover operations, there's always a sign given, right? And we look here and we see that the sign was given. In verse 44 it says, And he that betrayed him, we know this is Judas, when he had given them a token, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. You see, Judas wasted no time. As soon as this time came, he came forward and gave the Lord a kiss. Now you'll notice something about Judas. Now I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention this again. Anytime Judas is mentioned at all in the Gospels, he never refers to Jesus as Lord. He always refers to him, like here he says, Master, Teacher. He's never referred to Jesus as Lord. I think that's significant when you look at Judas. And we could go deeper into Judas, but that's as far as we're going to go. But you know, in those days, oftentimes they would embrace and they would greet each other with a holy kiss. Thank God we don't continue that tradition today, although some people try to continue that on. But we won't carry, we won't talk too much about that. But this was a sign of betrayal. I think about that proverb that says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Judas betrays our Savior. It's very interesting that as that happened, the Bible tells us in John chapter number 18 and verse 4 and 5, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Jesus answered them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And the scripture, that verse 6, is I really wound up there too, and then it didn't get up there for some reason. But in verse 6, it says they fell backwards. When Jesus said, I am, they fell backwards. Why? Because, in all reality, again, we see Jesus equating himself with God, right? I am. And they have no choice, but they fall backwards and bow before him. You would have thought that maybe this would have stopped them. Wow, this guy maybe is something special. But it didn't. We look at our text here in Mark chapter number 14. We see in verse 46, it says, And they laid their hands on him and took him. And Jesus is right there. And we look at verse 47, and it says, And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. The book of Mark doesn't tell us who this was. 
But remember, I've told you that Mark penned these words, that this is really probably Peter's story of what took place. Peter doesn't tell that it was himself that cut off the ear here. But don't worry, one of his good friends, John, lets us know that it was Peter that did it. And so, do you ever think, I thought about funny things like that. Peter doesn't want, no, doesn't say it was anybody here, but then in John, John's like, yep, it was Peter. I get to see them having a little fun with each other and all of that and how that all takes place. But we see that Peter picks up his sword and he chops off the, this guy's ear. And as this happens and we think about it, what was Peter doing? He was trying to fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons. May I just remind you this morning, and as we go through the sermon this morning, it's the same thing we try to do. Do you realize today that we're in a spiritual fight? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. You've got to understand, our battle's spiritual today. And what does Peter try to do? And I, I'll give it to Peter that he tried to stand up for the Lord right there. But the fact is, he drew out his sword, cut off the ear there, but he was trying to handle a spiritual matter in a physical way. Let me just give you a verse, and we'll move on here in just a minute. But 2 Corinthians 10, verse number 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Hey, church, our battle today is not flesh and blood. Our battle is spiritual today. You look at this world around us today, and you look at what's taking place and what's going on, it's a spiritual battle taking place. I don't know if you realize, but this is Pride Month, right? That's what it's called. It's called Pride Month. I'm not going to go deep into it, but when I look at Genesis chapter number 9, God placed the rainbow in the sky to remind himself and us that he would never flood the earth again. And so people want to take God's sign of mercy and throw it back in his face for something that he says is an abomination. That's, and I want you to understand something. That's a spiritual battle taking place. We look around today, and, you know, in the past couple weeks, it seems like there's been more and more shootings all over the place, right? There's a spiritual battle on our hands. We got to understand that today. Hey, may I just remind you in your life today, you can't fix your marriage on your own. You can't handle all your stress. You can't overcome all the anxiety in your life. You can't overcome all the addictions in your own life through your own power. You need the Lord. And you got to understand something. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, the other scriptures tell us, the other gospels, that Jesus healed the man's ear. Man, don't you think that would have been like, hey, my ear's chopped off and now it's put back. Maybe this guy should be let go. But we look at Jesus and we see as we continue on here. We look at verse number 49. It says, and verse 48 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. He's like, um, I was right there in the temple with you. Remember how you were arguing with me just the past couple days? Why didn't you take me then when everybody could see it? Because what they were doing was wrong. 
They did it late at night. They knew what they were doing. They had a plan. Jesus was not a threat to them for them to bring a big old band of soldiers and take him in the middle of the night. He was a threat to their power and what they wanted. As we look here and we look at these verses, we see that Jesus makes the statement, the scripture's got to be fulfilled. And the Bible tells us in the very next verse that all the disciples fled, which was a prophecy from the Old Testament in Zechariah. All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. So we see this is late at night. Judas kisses him, betrays him. They have huge band of soldiers. Peter chops the ear off of one of the soldiers. Jesus heals the ear. And they're going to take Jesus. All the disciples leave, just like Jesus said would happen. And then we have those two interesting verses in verse 51 and 52. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. A good lesson is, when you're going to go somewhere, make sure you got your clothes on. Um, most commentators would, will say, and most people believe, that this was actually Mark talking about himself. And he fled. Now, the different, the different thoughts behind it is, you know, they were all sleeping, right, before this time. And maybe he got up, and maybe he was one of those that had to, you know, he didn't sleep with many clothes on. I don't know. He wrapped a sheet around him and was going along, and then they tried to take him, and then he ran off. The lesson is just make sure you're wearing clothes when you go somewhere. Isn't, didn't our mothers teach us to always wear a clean pair of underwear in case you get an accident or something? So let that be a good lesson to remember this morning, all right? And so, but um, don't let it be you that runs away from the Lord naked, because that's going to leave an imprint for everyone for a very long time. And so, and if it was Mark, who knows, but someone that did this. And we see that they're going to take Jesus, which leads us to number two, an illegal trial that takes place. In fact, did you know there were actually six trials that took place for Jesus? Did you know that? We're going to look at probably about three of them today, and then we'll look at three more next week. There were three religious trials, and there were three civil trials. As we look at this, I want you to see what happened here. If you look with me, let's look down at verse number 53. Verse 53 says, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now, you know, we give Peter a bad rap. And he gets a bad rap for some of the things that he would say and do. But I don't, where's everyone else? He got close. We're going to talk about that towards the end of the message today. Everyone else fled completely. He fled, but then he, he, went in, he was in the high priest area here. He was close. He got to see up close and personal what's taking place. He's so close that when he denies the Lord, that Jesus looks at him. That's how close he is. So as we look here and we keep on going, it says, And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death, 
and found none. They could not find witnesses. Now you see it says, For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. They could not get the same story with multiple people. It says in verse 57, There arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. So neither did their witness agree together. They could not find any witnesses to agree. And we'll talk more about the legal process here in just a minute. The righteous legal process. We'll look at that in a minute. It says, and the, chief and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, What need we any further witnesses? We have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him, and to say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. As I mentioned, there are six trials that take place. Three religious, three civil. But we see that Jesus was led to the, to the high priest. The Bible tells us in John 18, verse 12 to 14, it tells us, Then the band and the captain of the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him, and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas, when he, which gave counsel to the Jews, that it was expedient that one should die for the people. Now, the high priest was a life term that the Jews had, given to them from the Old Testament. And in all reality, Annas was the high priest that was given that position. The Romans had put Caiaphas as the high priest. So when you see it says that he went to the high priest, he went first to Annas. Why? Because he was like the, he was like the old wise man, okay? He was the one that you went to first, and if he deemed that things were worthy to go forward, then it would go to Caiaphas, and so on and so forth. So as we look here and we see this, and we see what happens... We see that he's brought before Annas there, and then he's cleared with him to go to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is a wicked man, if we're being honest this morning, and wanted nothing but power for himself. And he did not—he didn't—he said he loved God, but he did nothing to show his love for God. He was blinded to it, and there's so much more I could say there. We see that in that very next verse that Peter followed him afar off. He even went into the palace of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself with the fire. And uh, when I read that verse and I see how close Peter got, it reminds me of Psalm 1-1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the sea of the scornful. And it would have done Peter good not to hang around those people. But I think Peter thought that he was doing good being where he was. And I can't know the intent of someone's heart, but I'll tell you, he kind of was in a bad spot where he was at. 
And the Bible makes it clear, you want to be happy in life? Stay clear of those things. Hey, don't walk with the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand the way of sinners, and don't sit in the seat of the scornful. That's what this group was, if we're being honest this morning. And as we look here, you've got to understand something. The Bible made it clear in the book of Numbers. Numbers, you can write down this reference, 35, verse number 30. The religious leaders needed at least two witnesses to put someone to death. You couldn't just go off the word of one person and say, well, one person said this, so they're going to kill you because that one person. That's not how it works. And so they had to agree. And we see in verse 56 here it says that many came forward, but their stories didn't line up. They did not agree in what they said. They came forward and said, well, Jesus did this. And then the next witness says, well, this happened, and the stories didn't add up. You know how you have a crime or something, you have someone who does an investigation. They go to the witnesses, and they see what the witnesses saw. And, a lot, and what happens is the witnesses, their stories, there might be a little different take on a few different things, but for the most part, those stories, they line up, and that leads to a prosecution, a case against them. And so we see here they couldn't do it. And then we see that they went a little bit further. Remember, Jesus made that statement as we look there. Remember back in John, chapter number 2, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and now will rear it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. Now what does it say that he said? Look there. Look at those verses. I will destroy this temple. Did Jesus say that? He did. But he wasn't referring to what they were saying. And what you've got to understand is, even these witnesses couldn't they, they couldn't get it figured out no one agreed so let's be honest here if this trial first off trials would never take place in the night they were done during the day that's first part that's illegal about this the second part is none of the witnesses even agree together right there the case should have been thrown out and jesus let loose because no one agreed now let's keep on reading here and look, at what, and, it's, and look at what it says. And the chief, and let's look down at verse number 59. But neither did their witnesses agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? Now you've got to understand something else here. You did not, you could remain silent. Did you know our Miranda rights today actually come from the Old Testament? Did you know that? You have the right to remain silent. Jesus didn't have to answer anything. So we see the chief priest stepping up here. And let me give you some other, the high priest, let me give you some other thoughts here. He wasn't to interfere in this trial. He was supposed to sit there and listen. He was not supposed to stand up and cast his own judgment and try to bait someone into saying something. So once again, we see, do you see all the illegal activity taking place at this trial here? And so we look here, and it says in verse 51, or 60, it says, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And the fact, and this is the thing, the only time the high priest was to stand during these trials was when a verdict was given. How can you give a verdict when no witnesses agree? The case should have been thrown out and Jesus let go. 
But you see, that's not what this was all about. They were not about the truth. They were about destroying Jesus. That's what they wanted to do. And so what the high priest, as I mentioned a minute ago, was supposed to do, he's supposed to sit quietly, and the accused was never to be attacked directly. The witnesses gave their testimony, much like how a court of law works in America today. You're innocent till proven guilty. It's how it's supposed to be. It's how it was set up. It, it's got a biblical backing, and it's amazing. But our, our, our founding fathers didn't want God in anything, did they? It's amazing how people, it's amazing how people get off on things. Let me just help you out real quick. People, church and state, separation of church and state, separate the two. You know that's not found in any of our documents? That was a letter that was written to Thomas Jefferson from a group of Baptists, is where that came from, because they were worried. And I want to help you today. We don't want the church running the state. That's one of the things we fled, that people fled to America for, because I don't want the church, I don't want the church telling everyone how they have to do it. Because the church will get it wrong most of the time. Because it's normally not the right church that's in power at those times. But also, you got to understand this. I don't want the state running the church. But this is the problem. So we say, so we don't want the church running the state, and we don't want the state running the church. Well, where does that put God? God is bigger than the church, and he's bigger than the state. We need God in both. We need God everywhere. God needs to, and we need to make righteous decisions with God. You know, we would do ourselves a great, our country would do ourselves a great favor if we just get back to God. You want to start fixing the problems in Washington, D.C.? Get God back in there. And drain that swamp. The best way to do it is start by getting God there. You want to change, you want to change California? Get God back up in Sacramento. I don't know if he's ever been there, but hopefully it could happen. But we see been let go. Thy priest no right to do this. But he did. Jesus, by remaining silent, was fulfilling more prophecy. Isaiah 53 and verse number 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. We see that since Jesus didn't open his mouth, we see the chief priest goes even deeper. And this phrase there where it talks about the chief, the high priest here, he kept asking. He wanted to get Jesus. That was his goal. And he asked him, art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Whew, they hated that. But he didn't stop there. And ye shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. What Jesus was quoting came from Daniel chapter 7 in verse 13 and verse 14. And I saw the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Also noted Psalm 110 verse number 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my footstool. In all reality, what Jesus is saying, someday I'm coming again, and I'm going to judge you. I'm coming with all power. You, you think you got power right now. 
You have no power if it weren't given you from my Father. You could do nothing. And someday, and think about this, what right did they have to judge the judge of the world? They had no right to judge the judge of the world. They were going to cast their votes in judgment in just a couple verses here, but Jesus is coming again, and he's the righteous judge, and he's the ruler of the universe. I want you to understand something. He may have been in custody, but Jesus was still fully in control of everything. We see in verse 63, the high priest rent his clothes and said, What need we any further witnesses? We have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And showing his holy hypocrisy, Caiaphas tore his clothes to declare that Jesus was declaring blasphemy. But in all reality, the one who was speaking blasphemy is the one who rented his clothes. Because Jesus is God. And for Caiaphas not to recognize him as God was Caiaphas' blasphemy. We see these things, and we see verse 65, and some began to spit on him, and to cover his face him, and to say unto him, prophesy, and the servants did strike the palms of their hands. You think about it, by hitting him with their fists, they were rejecting him as the Messiah. If he's too weak to take care of himself, He's too weak to be our Messiah. In, uh, in blind him and telling him to prophesy who was smacking him, they were rejecting him as a prophet. They were rejecting Christ for who he was right at that time. We get to that point, and we get to verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace... There cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou what's with Jesus of Nazareth? But he denied, saying, I know not. Neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. But he denied again, and a little after they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them. For thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. When he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him. Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Number three and lastly this morning, we see Peter's denial. We see Peter's denial. Peter sticks around, as I mentioned earlier. But we see, first of all, his first denial. His first one is mentioned there in verse 66 to 68. And it says that when they saw him warming there, she looked on him and said, Art thou, that weren't, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And he said, No, I know not. Neither understands what thou sayest. And then he went outside, and the cock crew. It's hard to believe the same guy who chopped the servant's ear off and who also, on top of that, said, I would never leave you, is now denying. That's the first time. We see the second denial. We see it in um, verse 69 and 70. It says, Peter, and as we go, he goes by the fire there. It says, and the maid saw him again and, and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. 
And the, he denied it again, and a little after, they that stood by again said, Surely thou art one of them, thou art a Galilean, thy speech agreeeth thereto. He denied what that gives us the tense of. He kept denying. So he denied the first time. He denied the second time. His third denial comes in verse 70 and 71. It's about an hour later, the Bible tells us, in Luke twenty-two fifty-nine. So a little bit of time has gone on. The Bible says, And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. And he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. One of the accusers that was here, according to John chapter 18, verse 26, was a relative of the guy that got his ear chopped off, Malchus. So as we look at that and we think about that, we see here that Peter, the way he talked, people knew that he was a Galilean. You know, today... You get around someone long enough, you can kind of tell where, the, if, they, if they grew up in the south, you get that little southern draw. You talk to Caroline long enough, you can tell she grew up in Minnesota and things like that. And uh, you can tell a little bit after time where people, because, and so his speech was giving him away. Now one of the things that I find interesting is that I often hear, I hear a lot of preachers use this, that Peter was cursing and swearing, blankety blankety, that's not what he was doing. If you think that Peter was using cuss words, that's not what he was doing right here. Look at what it says, and I'm going to explain to you what Peter did. The Bible says, and he denied it again a little after, they stood, at verse number 71, he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom thou speak. The word curse actually means it's like anathema, to be cast away. And so he, what he is saying is, if I'm not telling you the truth, I'm placing a curse on myself. That's what he was doing. So you think about it, it could be, may I be condemned to hell if I'm lying to you. He was actually setting up a curse on himself, not cursing and swearing. And he was swearing that he was telling the truth. Does that make sense? So sometimes people say Peter was using all those four-letter words. A lot of those four-letter words that you used weren't even there back then. And I would encourage you not to use those four-letter words, okay? I think a Christian should be able to use better words than a lot of those four-letter words. And we'll just leave that there. As we look at this... The Bible tells us in Luke twenty two sixty one, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Can you imagine as Peter denied that third time? He was close enough for Jesus to see. And Jesus looked at him. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Peter saw him going to die. And Peter believes weeping broken man but you know there's a difference we know we heard and we've looked at we might look at later on how Judas tries to return the silver he was sorry but he wasn't repentant Peter was sorry and he was repentant that's the big difference between the two the Bible tells us and I'm just going to give you another verse or two and we'll be done here in a few minutes 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh deceit. Don't you love the fact that God wasn't done with Peter? I'm going to jump ahead of myself, but in Mark 16, 7, the Bible says, But go your way, tell his disciples, Hey, 
and let Peter know. And this is one of those times where Peter did mention his own name. Hey, hey, tell the disciples and let Peter know. Hey, Peter, I haven't given up on you. I still love you. You're going to do many great things for me. That's the way the Lord works. I want to give you three quick thoughts, application points as we close this morning. And next week we'll dive deeper into these thoughts and see the next trials as Jesus goes before Pilate. But you look at Peter and where he was, and it brings a couple of questions to my mind, which I think every believer, and I'm a sincere, Peter was a saved child of God and a believer of Jesus Christ. Judas was not. I want to give you, so this is the thing. Any of us can deny. Any of us can do things just like any of the disciples did. But a couple thoughts for your life and my life this morning. Number one, am I following Jesus from a distance? You're going to get in trouble when you follow him from a distance. Peter was close, but not close enough. Man, you know where I want to be? I want to be at the feet of Jesus. I want to be right there. You want to stay out of trouble? Stay at the feet of Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. But a lot of times we're prone to wander, right? Isn't that what the song says? And there are many times in our life where, and we got to be very careful. Are, are we following Jesus from a distance? Hey, church, let me give you this, and I'm going to mention this next service as well. I'm seeing in our church, I'm seeing a lot of our church members that are really, you used to be super close to the Lord, and you used to be faithful to a lot of services, you used to be faithful to a lot of things, and you're backing out of a lot of things, and you're getting further away from things. As your pastor, it's my job to watch out for you. It is. And you might not like it, and you might not like to hear it, but you need to be careful. When you've been close to Jesus, and then you start backing up, it's just a matter of time before you fall away. Be careful what you do. Be very careful. Are you following Jesus from a distance or are you close? You need to be close. Number two, am I allowing the enemies of Jesus to influence me? Are you allowing this world to influence you? Isn't this world, this world is at enmity with God, right? You know one of Christians' biggest, one of our biggest problems as Christians today Letting the world influence us. Letting the world influence our thinking. Letting the world influence everything we do. We want to be just like them on social media. We want to be just like them in all these other areas. Are you allowing the world to influence you? Say, I live in the world. I get it. We all do. I'm not telling you you can't live in this world. You live there. I'm not telling you not to enjoy the things of this, of the, that are in this world to a degree. But are you, are you being an influence on this world for Christ? Or are you letting this world influence you? It's a big difference in the two. How close are you following Jesus? Are you allowing the enemies of Jesus to influence you? And number three, am I playing with fire? Don't play with fire. It doesn't end well. How many people have started big major fires that didn't mean to because they just were playing with a little bit of fire? It was just one firecracker, yeah. You mess with sin. You mess with distancing yourself a little bit from the Lord. Don't mess with it. Stay close to the Lord. Don't play with fire.
Just like as a kid, my parents said, Brian, don't play with matches. But a lot of Christians, we get in a lot of trouble because of the places and the things that we do. If there's something we can learn from Peter, I think we should be asking ourselves those three questions on a regular basis and checking up on ourselves. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had today.